Hello, and welcome to A Journey Through Fantasy. This week, we will be concluding Grave Peril by Jim Butcher, the third book in the Dresden Files. Chapters 31 through 39, and at the end we will also do a little bit of a review over the entirety of the book once we have the, the entire story in frame, so to speak. I'm going to do something a little bit different this episode. Uh, in the previous three, I've kind of gone chapter by chapter. And um, this time around, um, it's kind of just going to be just the sort of the events as they played out, not necessarily broken up by chapter, but you know which chapters they are. You know, we're at the end of the book here. So uh, I will say that we are starting with chapter 31. So Harry wakes uh, from the situation that happened last time with the uh with the vampires and at the like the ball or whatever it was and bring you know bringing down fire upon everybody um using up all his energy and whatnot so he's been he's been asleep for several days um at least one i believe and he's kind of upset at the realization, you know, that he's, he killed innocent lives because there were, you know, there were people there that the vampires were kind of slowly, you know, working on and some of them may have been alive. So he killed them in his rage. And of course that doesn't sit well with him. Um, these are the parts, like I said last time where Harry stops becoming so witty. I mean, he still is, but like, that that sense of morality comes out in him, and like I said, I don't remember m much of the first book, but I, I remember enough of the of the last one and this one. And it always seems that Harry starts off the books very witty, one-liney, very um, Marvel movie-esque, I, I would say. But, but, you know, but as the tension rises and as the stakes get higher, that falls away, which I think is a good thing because, you know, a lot of times people talk about consistency in your actions. And while I think most people should strive for those type of things, it's okay to have uh, characters that aren't consistent because humans, by default, we're not consistent. And so it actually becomes more authentic if you can have some inconsistency with your characters as the, you know, as the situation changes. So, you know, early in the, in the book, the situation isn't as dire. I mean, yes, there, there are these ghosts terrorizing Chicago. So, I mean, there's, there's problems, but now that we're at this point in the book, the vampires are after him. Probably the white council is probably going to be after him. Um, uh, uh, Susan's been captured. Uh, Amarakis is still missing. I may not be saying that word right, but that's what I'm saying. Uh, Michael's wife, or my, well, Michael's wife isn't talking to him, and the child might be might not make it. There are all these things stacking up, right? Oh, and, and Susan uh, has lost her memory. She, she's probably been turned to a vampire, or, or, or worse, she could be dead. So, like, there's all these things that are stacking up. So the tension has been risen, and naturally, 
Harry's going to be a little less witty. Again, he is, he still is witty, but he's not like, you know, he's not like fourth wall breaking. Where he kind of feels that way when the show, when the when the book starts. So um, that's just you know that's something that I've noticed with, with with these books and and I enjoy them. I don't know if that'll continue, but um, like I said, it, it adds enough. You know, it adds enough authenticity to the world that I can, you know, that I believe it. So, yeah, that's where, that's where we're at. We're kind of, he's dealing with those, dealing with that guilt, I should say. Um, Michael kind of, Michael comes in, tries to talk him down, uh, relays to him that Murphy is still asleep, um, still don't know what's going to happen with uh, his newborn. Charity isn't speaking to him. Uh, and he doesn't ask where Lydia is. Uh, and um, as they walk in, you know, to the living room and Dresden sees her on the couch, um, uh, I think with, with a blanket on her and sleeping. She had been struggling to sleep. She hadn't slept for days. Michael kind of talked her down or, you know, comforted her. And uh, has got her to sleep. Uh, and Michael then says, because this is the first time that, well, I mean, other than the party when there's a lot of stuff going on, this is the first time that Michael has seen Lydia and he, he recognizes her. He, um, she was in Kravos's lair when they, when they uh, busted him and killed that demon. Well, they you know they try to figure out their next move, but but Michael's sort of Michael has lost his his fight in it because he, he doesn't have the sword, um, and you know it, it, everything with his wife, with his kids, with the newborn, it just I don't know. But then but then as Michael is kind of explaining that. Dresden feels something a little off. Something, something's weird. Um, but then, um, you know, he's like, all right, whatever. You know, you, you, you got to do what you got to do. I, I'll take care of Lydia. I'll figure this out. They go to the door. Uh, and then there comes just some loud knocking. Um, and Dresden times it right. He, he opens the door. And Thomas comes flying in. Now this is the first time we've seen Thomas since his betrayal in uh, at the party. Dresden knows who he is. Dresden recognizes him uh, and punches him. <laughs> um, and uh, and well, you know, you know how that goes. That's typical. That's typical drama. That's that's built. Uh, but but Thomas is given the chance to explain that he was going to double cross Bianca, but he got but but he got double crossed first, and he's been chased all day by the vampires. Uh, he relays that Bianca has Justine and Susan captured. They're not dead, as far as he knows. That they're captured. Thomas has brought a down payment, you know. To help them, if, if if they'll help him save Justine, 
they will also, of course, be able to save Susan. And then also, here's a down payment for the help, and it's Amaracus. He was able to, he was able to rescue it during the all the crazy stuff that was going on at the after you know after the betrayal of the party. Um, they they they're trying to figure out a rescue plan. They think to ask Lydia since she was in there. And Dressing kind of realizes, like, about her being asleep. You know, it, it was like she hadn't slept for days. And she's like, oh, no. You know, he realizes why she wasn't sleeping. Um, she was trying to avoid the nightmare getting into her dreams. And just as soon as that realization happens, Lydia starts coughing. Dressing goes to help her. Um, and then all of a sudden, like, a, um, nightmare-possessed Lydia grabs him. Her eyes are full of blood. I, in, in my head, I picture two things. Um, like, you know how, like, the eyes go full black in, um, in Supernatural. And then one of the, one of the things I loved about um, the it's another CW show, The Legends of Tomorrow. When they brought in Constantine um, for the first, well, he was brought into Arrow, but then later on he got brought into Legends of Tomorrow, and they. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly. I cannot remember like the demon's name, but. But there's a demon possessing um, Damien Dark's daughter. And their first encounter with Damien Dark's daughter as she's possessed, you know, her eyes her eyes are like full red. And it was just a really good scene. Um, that's what I'm envisioning here, and it really plays into what's going on. Um, so then Lydia fights them off. Dresden tries to bind her, and he fails. Um... She almost choked him out, and and but at the same time, Dresden's kind of he's starting to put more pieces together. And that, I'll say that about about this book in particular, and it, it may have been the case for the other books, but I feel like you know there, there's of course a mystery to these books. You're trying to you know it's not like a typical whodunit, but there is a mystery there. You know that you're trying to figure out what's happening and why it's happening and what are all these people's what are all what, what part do all these people play and i will say that at the most inconvenient time is when dresden figures it out in this book like there's probably like i can I, you know, off the top of my head i can think of two but i feel like there's more maybe four or five moments where he's starting to put the pieces together at the most inconvenient time so i don't know i don't know if that's a I don't know if that's a thing that's that that if that's just like a formula that Jim Butcher uses, or if maybe it's just in this one book. But he's starting to figure it out. But he comes to and he finds that like Thomas is using like his sexual powers on her, um, which saved saved um, Dresden's life. Um, 
while she is kind of entranced into that, Harry tries to spell again. He calls the nightmare Kravos. So what he's realized is uh, the nightmare isn't a ghost of a demon. The nightmare is Kravos. And we'll get to why in a minute. But he calls the nightmare Kravos and he banishes him. And so he leaves Lydia's body. So she she's saved. So Harry relays that Kravos must have performed a ritual and killed himself while in custody. And that's why everybody's been freaking out. Murphy's been Murphy was real hush hush about it. Stalin's was very hesitant to go get the journal. Susan was looking into it. So it kind of fits that fits that all in together. Um and so because of that, because Thomas saved for in his life and all that stuff, they devise a plan to, to rescue Susan and uh, Justine. Um, what they're going to do is they're going to travel through the Never Never. Bob guides them, where that's what the, they, they end up going and traveling through it. And Bob guides them, but they have, but they cross into like the fairy land, which I think is just called fairy with a, a capital F. And you know that's where that's where Godmother is, and. Uh, well, of course, naturally, uh, she gets them, <laughs> um, and she 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 captures him, but but they distract him enough. It's it's almost like he he plays it like he knew she was going to get him. So the whole plan was to get captured, but while she's kind of distracted, he eats some kind of mushroom type thing that's poisonous and. He doesn't have much time to live. Or at least he needs to get to the hospital. They strike a bargain with her. Basically, another bargain. That she will not go after him for a year and a day. So she releases him he and he gets some kind of antidote type thing. Not, not that fully cures him, but it will at least knock it back enough for him to do what he's got to do and then get, you know, get to a hospital. Um, but in, but because Michael and Thomas didn't make any bargain, uh, she attacks them instead. They urge Dresden to go ahead without them. Uh, and one also more into that is her promise was that she would not go after Dresden. If I, if I'm interpreting what happened correctly, so she can send anybody else after him. Um, they, you know, so Thomas and Michael stay back and, and fight off this stuff while Harry and Bob are, um, you know, off to off to finish the job to get Susan and Justine. Uh, they get to. Bob says, okay, this is where we're at. This will take you out into Bianca's mansion or wherever it is. And well, I believe it's her mansion. And, but, but just as he's sort of creating that, that, that tear into the fabric so that he can get out, you, you hear something coming and Bob says, you better stop. Like, hey, you need, you need to see this. And, but Harry's like, no, no, you, should, you know, 
He's like, let me finish what I'm doing. I'm in the middle of this. Harry just kind of disregards Bob. And so, but when they, when he falls out into the floor of Bianca's house, he realized it was a trap. And there's all these vampires waiting and Bianca's sitting there. Um, and they basically, uh, you know, they attack him. They do what they can with him. He's kind of going in and out of just constant pain and blackout. But he wakes up and um, Justine is there. He he talks to her. She's a little weird. Um, I, never, I didn't really understand that. Um, I don't know if it's just that she's very eccentric or what, but she's, she's a very weird person. And when she's with Thomas... That that's a that the stuff sort of you know goes away, but yeah, I wasn't really quite sure about that. I don't know if that's if there's more to that. I'd have to look that up outside the book. Um, but she relays to him that you know the, the vampires were feasting on him, but something was wrong with his blood, and they were like either thrown up or maybe even dying or make it, it was at least making them sick, um, which is probably, for, you know, which was from the mushrooms. I would, I would assume. Susan, he goes over there and finds Susan. She's been partially turned into a vampire. Um, once she makes a kill, she will fully become a vampire. Uh, once she, and, and then does, uh, some vampiric feeding, uh, Dresden manages to restore her memory, though, um, to get her memory back so she can recognize him, saying, saying, I love you, finally um, admitting that. And, and then that helps her self-control um, and keeps her from getting thirsty. Then Dresden comes up with an idea to, because they can't get out, he doesn't have his magic, or, you know, he's, he's too weak to use magic. But he realizes something. Um, he, realize, he, he realizes a plan. And so, what he does is, she, uh, he, he goes to sleep, which draws in Kravos. Kravos comes after him. And while he's there, I believe that this is the way it's done. Either he dies, either Kravos kills him, and then and then Su Susan or Justine, I can't remember, uh, gives him CPR and brings him back to life, or they suffocate him on the in the on the outside world and then give him CPR and bring him back. Uh, it's one of those two things. Either way, he dies only for a second, and then is brought back. And because the the that that um what was it what's the what's the word I'm looking for the barrier that barrier between the real world and the never never is so thin that one moment of dying created a ghost because we've already set up the, the precedent that 
ghosts are almost like a snapshot in time. The snapshot at death. So that's a good setup and payoff right there. Um, I'll, I'm always curious about the, you know, as a aspiring writer myself, you know, you come up with ideas. But, you know, you almost have to make them, you have to make up, you have to make it clever enough to where there is setup and there's payoff. And I always wonder with established, uh, successful authors, you know, when do they come up with that payoff? Like, do they come up with the payoff first and then the setup? Um, you know, like how far in advance did he know that that's how that was going to, or did he, did he already set up the idea that ghosts are going to be imprinted and we're going to use that to end up defeating the demon and then he created the story to give you the setup. So he, he had the payoff first, then he created it. I don't know. I don't know how they do that. That's one of the things that always eludes me when I'm trying to come up with something um, quote-unquote original. But either way, uh, with the help of Dresden's ghost, they're able to defeat Kravos, and Dresden basically eats Kravos which gives him his magic back and some of Kravos's black magic abilities. This seemed a little weird to me. I didn't really like that because it, it, it's he was like eating him the way that he was eating eating Dresden. I don't know. I, even if I'm in a dream, I don't think I would do that. Like that just seemed weird. I don't know. I don't, that was really weird to me. Well, they um, by you know. Uh, Harry, you know, wakes up. He's got his magic back. He busts open the door, and then, of course, Kelly and Kyle come flying in. They're they're just the they are the bastions of bad timing in this in this book. But Dresden ends up burning them up and uh, killing them. He ends up going up the stairs and of course the vampires and Bianca are waiting they've even brought in well hold on I missed something here wait a minute now I almost left y'all hanging with a little bit of something before they go upstairs you know he, he tells the he tells the ladies to get behind him and they uh, they go over there they get his blasting rod his, his staff Bob everything they need and then they realize uh, Justine and Harry realize that uh, Susan's gone and um, so they go up the stairs there's the vampires there's Bianca she's got Susan in some kind of trance because you know it's part of a vampire deal right she's even brought in someone from South America a rep another representative of the Red Court you know, to basically lay down the facts that Bianca hasn't done anything. Even if she's prompted attacks, um, the law, the treaty is only, is only um, enforced by the letter, not the intent or the spirit, right? So while it, a lot of this stuff wouldn't have happened because of things she has done, she hasn't done anything actively to break the treaty. Um, 
and and so he he basically gives him a deal. Um, you'll um, you'll get Justine. You'll 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 get your magical magical items, and you'll get safe passage out of here. But in exchange, in exchange, Dresden gets Susan. And if he refuses and tries to rescue Susan, um, war will come between the vampires and the and the wizards, the uh, the red court of the vampires. Not not I don't I don't think it was explicitly stated that it would be between the other ones, the black court and the white court, but it would definitely be between the red court and the white council. Uh, Dresden, being Dresden. Very um, Captain America-ish, you know, fighting for one life, even though there's other lives on the line. And that's the thing about it. A lot of times in these stories and in fictional stories, I remember it being talked about in Walking Dead some. I, I only watched like the first two seasons, but I remember it being talked about in season one. You know, they always present the morally good characters, I wouldn't say the heroes, but at least the protagonists. They present protagonists in such a way where they're like, they're going to fight. They don't, they're not going to trade lives. They're going to, they're going to do everything they can to save one life. It doesn't matter how many other lives die. In the process, we're not going to give up on our humanity and allow someone to die when we could stop it. And then the person who has a different opinion where it's like, look, I'm willing to let one person die if it'll save millions. They're usually presented as um, the antagonist, the, 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 the wrong view, I should say. And I don't know how true that is. And, I, I'm, I'm, and of course, I'm not in that position to make those kind of calls. I never have been. So um, I don't know exactly what I would do. But part of me thinks like, if we reframe that argument to be where, hey, look, you know, all these people are going to die. We can stop them. We, we, we stop that from happening. It's our duty. So if you, if you frame it the opposite way that it usually is framed, let's say, you know, um, oh, I, I guess kind of like in The Dark Knight when all these hospitals are going to be are going to be blown up. But you need to kill this one guy here. Uh, of course, they try to stop. They try to stop all the hospitals from blowing up. But the but the bat, but the Batman also tries to stop um, that guy from getting killed. But but like, and I'm not saying that that's a very extreme version. But I don't know it. I think there's more nuance to it. Or at least there should be in in uh, in in fiction, and we and there may be examples out there. I'm not the most well read or well watched person, or well, I'm not a cinephile by any means, and I'm not a bibliophile either. So it may have happened, but I feel like that should be explored more. The idea of of the other person being in the right, or being at least presented in the right, the the one, the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few kind of person, they always seem to me to be represented as the antagonist. So, 
whatever. But Harry being who he is, he he'll risk war to save Susan. And you know, in this instance it it's different because there's you know, there's a relationship there. It's not like it's a random person. You know, it's this is you know, whereas in like the Batman in the Dark Knight, that that was more or less a random person. It wasn't like his girlfriend or, or you know, whoever. In this case, it, it's a girlfriend. So, um, Dresden fights back. And, uh, he, you know, he, I kind of sum all these battles up as just they, they battled because that's really what it is. I don't, I mean, I, I mean, action's fine, but battles are battles, right? Or fights are fights or they're fighting, they're, Wizards failing there. Now this one was actually pretty interesting because the vampires are going after him, and he's you know doing what he can. But the way that Tim Butcher is describing these vampires because they're not in their like flesh um, masquerade type situation, they're all in their true form, and he and he keeps describing all their movements in like insect like manner. Like they're crawling on the walls like spiders, and then they drop like the sound of like a cockroach or something. Like they, he keeps—I'm paraphrasing a little bit—but he keeps referencing them in insect-like ways, which is really interesting. Um, it really—I wouldn't say manipulates, but it points you. It points the reader's mind into a certain way of like, which I guess is what an author is supposed to do. It points you in a direction that he that the author wants you to think of, of these vampires. But what uh, Dresden ends up doing is he draws down on the power of all the dead souls underneath this house that the vampires have killed over the years, because the you know that barrier between the never never and the real world, it's um you know it's a. Uh, <laughs> It's really thin because of their actions or because of Kravos and Bianca and Mavra's actions, right? So he calls them all up and the, these empowered spirits, and he, he empowers them too. He, you know, he gives some of his magic into them. And so they come up and they start uh, destroying the vampires uh, along with Bianca's mansion. Uh, and at the same time, uh, Dresden, Susan, and, and the others escape. Um, the others being Justine. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, as, as they escape, the, uh, uh, the, the mansion burns, uh, burns to the ground. So after, after all that, um, Susan disappears. She, uh, uh, Dresden goes to her apartment. She's not there. Um, she's not at her job. He tracks her down, uh, to a beach, um, on Lake Michigan. And, uh, he proposes marriage and, you know, she kisses him, but she refuses because, you know, it, it's harder. Um, be, during the day, she says it's easy to kind of, um, not think about it because she's still dealing with the the thirst and the want to 
complete that vampire transition. But at night, it's very difficult, she says. She just doesn't want to put Harry through that. But, you know, Harry being the man he is, you know, he loves her and he wants to be there for her and he wants to help her and all and any way he can. And, you know, that's, you know, he, he loves her. So well, he, when you love someone, you're going to do whatever you can for him, right? But, you know, yeah, she refuses. Um, Harry um, gets word from Bob that um, the White Council will be visiting Chicago. Because a war is, in fact, be, uh, breaking out. See, I was thinking with the mansion burning, I thought maybe the South American dude got burnt with it, but I guess he escaped. That would be my only reason to think. Because, I mean, if it burnt down, how do you even know it was a wizard that did it, that it was Harry? But apparently he escaped and he alerted the Red Court. So there will be, I'm assuming, in the next book, that'll be part of the big... The big uh, storyline will be that there, you know, there's a war between the Red Court and the White Council, and this will be, I guess, the first time where the events of the last book really do like carry over big time. So the which you know these first three books, I feel like you could read them, you could read one without ever without reading the other. You would. I wouldn't say you could read them out of order, but you could just you could pick up the third book and read it, and start from there. And you want you know you could go back and read the first two. It might not make sense, but you I mean if you know that they're the first two, then yeah, that's fine. But like I don't think any information is given within the context that you need to have. But this time around. Well, you might not even need that. I mean, you just open it up and be like, hey, there's a war happening. You don't need to know why it happened. I mean, he'll, they'll, he'll probably get re... He'll, they'll retread over that in the next book. They'll explain it's due to his actions, you know. But, um, you know, and I think it, it ends with um, Thomas and Michael coming over to, you know, to lift his spirits up. So, you know, that's the, that's the end of, that's the end of, um, Grave Peril. I will say it's a, you know, it's a pretty good book. Um, what my rating scale is, uh, I believe it's based off the way Goodreads does it, which Goodreads is an awful, awful, uh, app. Um, and I, I don't mean any disrespect to the people who run that because I think they're all volunteers. So I, I don't want to say that they're doing a bad job but Amazon has them like Amazon has more money than God and they can't even get the user interface right so there's always something wrong with that app they need to they need to devote time into making that a, a better app uh, than it is but regardless uh, I like their structure so a one star means you don't like it and you don't need any more information than that I don't need to tell you to what level I don't like it. You know, you just need to know I don't like it. I'm not going to read it again. It wasn't for me. Whatever. That's a one star review. Two star is it's okay. You know, it's, I still may not ever read it again, but it, it didn't offend me. You know, 
in the sense that it wasted my time. Because that's the biggest offense, I think. Any, um, any type of media, any type of, uh, uh, what's the right word? Any type of content, that's the biggest sin you can commit in my book is wasting people's time. That's the last thing I want to do if I write a story and I ask someone to read it. I don't want to waste somebody's time. Now, it's, it's inevitable. Sometimes you're going to write something or make something, film something, and it's just not going to jive with some people. But you try your best not to waste people's time. And so a two-star is on the edge. See, a one-star is you wasted my time because it is it is not good. Two-star is it's okay. It's almost a waste of time. Uh, and also, you know, it's, it's there's flaws in it, you know, stuff like that. Uh, three is good. It was good, you know. Um, it 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 was an acceptable story. It's one I would recommend. It's not perfect by any means. Um, there's definitely flaws, uh, and I still might not reread it. it. But you know, maybe four is it's good. It's almost perfect. Well, I mean, like it's great. It's almost perfect. Um, there still are some flaws there. Maybe there's a writing style I don't like. There's one or two things that are just a little bit off that bring it down to a four star. And then five star, you're rarely going to see them for me. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to say rarely, but they do not happen a lot. Most of the time, every book I read is is sometimes, is, yeah, most all the time it's a three or a four. But fives are, are basically a perfect book. Yes, there still may be one flaw, but it's a flaw that can be overlooked. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, based on the books I have read, uh, Dune is a five-star. Okay. Um, I have read the first Mistborn book. That's a five-star for me. And then I am um, nine or ten books in. I, I can't remember. Maybe I'm only nine books into the will of time two of them so far have been five stars um, most of them have been four um, it won actually it's weird with them uh, if you were <laughs> and I guess it's kind of recency bias when I rate them I might have to go back and re-rate them at some point it's like when you go see a movie and you're asked to give your opinion on the movie right when you walk out like, there's a spectacle, man. Like, how am I supposed to dissect my emotions of being in the theater and the spectacle of it with actually how good a movie was? It's hard to do. Same with books. As soon as you finish them, especially with the Will of Time books, and I'll tell you why. If you're based on the first two-thirds of every Will of Time book, pretty much, they are um, a little slow. I may have already said this. I don't know. You may have heard this before. Forgive me. But it's almost like every like every book, the last 100 pages, 150 pages, just turn, turns the dial up. And it, and it saves the book and makes it so good. Um, the fourth book and the seventh book for me uh, were five stars. Because, and maybe they should be four stars because... Again, I just said that a five star is a perfect book. Like Mistborn. Mistborn is perfect from beginning to end. Dune is perfect from beginning to end. But 
the the fourth and seventh book of the Will of Time really just hit hit with me, and I really enjoyed them. So um, I, I'm gonna, I, I said all that just you know so you know where my rating system goes. Um, the first two Dresden File books were threes, you know, and again, to me, a three is a good rating. That is average, or it's not average. Two is average. Two is like it's fine. And then three is like good. It's in the good category. So basically, my rating is there's one bad one. Because again, I'm not going to give you any more details. I don't need to give you a, a, a range on how much I hated something. Because I don't like to dive into that negativity. And then there's one rating that is for like average. But then there, are, but then I do dive into how good they are. Because I think, I think we do need to talk about the different levels of positivity. Right? The Dresden Files sit in that three spot. At least the first two did. Because, you know, they're, they're urban fantasy. They got a little bit of horror mixed in. But they really, and I, and I do not mean this as a negative, but they kind of feel like they're in the same vein as like Dan Brown thrillers. And, um, oh, what's the name? Steve Barry and James Patterson. And again, I don't mean that negatively, but that's kind of where they fit. They're short chapters. They're easy to digest. You don't have to think about them too much. There's twists. There's turns. You know, they're they're they're, they're page turners, and um, I like that about them. That's what makes them. That's why I call them palate cleansers. They're they're a good book to read in between like these long fantasy series. So. Um, this one is also a three star. And as far as ranking goes, I think I like the second one still better than this one. This one still had a little bit of too much conveniences. Too many um, coincidences. Is that what I just said? Yeah, yeah, there's too many coincidences. And I, um, I don't know. It's still a good book, like I said. I, I think if I was going to rank them, it would be the second book, then this one, then the first. And it's really close between the second and the, and the or yeah, between the between this one and the first book, really close. But I think the second one really, I don't know if it was just, which I don't mean I don't I, I'm I wouldn't say I'm super into werewolves, but it just felt fun. But whatever, they all feel fun. Yeah, it was a good book. I I, I really enjoyed it. Um, some of the criticisms I had early on are still there. And I'm, you know, I, like I said, I think in the first episode, it's fun to see. It's fun to read these now because we got several of them. And you can kind of see the progression of Jim Butcher as a writer. So, so yeah, that is, uh, you know, that's my opinion on Grave Peril. You may agree, you may disagree. I would recommend reading this if you're into it. I don't know why you're listening if you're not reading it. Or if you if you haven't already read it. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, it's a good book. Um, so, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this series. There'll be a short break, and then we will pick up um, with um, the, what is it, the, Powder Mage Trilogy by Brian McKellen. Uh, the three books are Promise of Blood, 
the shoot, I don't remember what the second one's called. Crimson the Crimson Campaign. And then the Autumn Republic. I believe that's the three of them. I know the first one's Promise of Blood. So that's the next one we'll, we'll do. Like I said, there'll be a little bit of a break. Um, but we will open up probably with the first five chapters, I would assume. Maybe the first ten, like like we've been doing with, with the Dresden Files. Um, you'll know in the title, so just if, if you want to read along with us, um, uh, I'd be, I would surely appreciate it, but yeah, I hope you enjoyed this and we will see you in a few weeks. Bye now.